Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And he swings, hits it high, and deep, and gone! Still going back! Another team top prospect list. Now we go to the Chicago Cubs in the NL Central, where I'm excited for the Cubs system here, Jack. But I'm also excited for just a lot in this division that we're going to be working through. I'm Arm Waiton. He's Jack McMullen. Of course, this is the call up. And there's several prospects we're going to be talking about today who probably will get called up this coming season. But there's also some intrigue of guys that are you know, at the lower levels with a lot of upside in this Cubs system. It feels like you kind of get a little bit of everything. You get those projects that you can dream on those higher floor guys that look like they could have a 2024 ETA if they didn't debut already and then some guys in between and that's why I think this is one of the better farm systems in the sport I wish they had a couple more high floor arms I really do like I wish they had a couple more Jordan Wicks great job Jack starting this thing on a negative note you jackass (laughs) whatever sorry guys um, I will say that this is such an exciting farm system to go through. Um, I love their pitching prospects personally. Uh, yes, mm-hmm. do I I wish that they had two more Jordan Wicks for sure, but a Jackson Ferris is really fun. Even a guy mm-hmm. like Jackson Wiggins, is he ever going to figure it out? Because it may look freaking awesome. You've got so many of these high floor bats. You've got some bats to dream on, like you were saying, but then you also have a top five pitching prospect in baseball and probably a top five outfield prospect in baseball too. So you get it in kind of the intro to this article. Yes. The Cubs have been rumored big spenders. Yes. Apparently they were in on Otani. um, And then at the end, I guess it turned out that they never made a formal offer to Shohei Otani kind of weird, but they've been floated with all of the big names and even the, the expensive mid-level names like Matt Chapman. If they did nothing, I still feel good about where they are in 2024. That's the fun of this system. Yeah, that's the really cool thing is, you know, of course, I know Cubs fans are like, let's let's go make it happen now. And they should. But, you know, you can see the sustainable success, whether they subtract from the system or not. And and I do think that's why people want to see them be aggressive is they can subtract from this system, because even if you do trade from some of these bats that I really like, there's some bounce back candidates in the names to watch that we can talk about. There are some guys who could make a leap. And there's also just a lot of good prospects here beyond the, the five top 100 guys that are on this list and that are in this system. You also have like 10 or at least something close to it around that number, 50 future value guys, which, you know, we don't just hand those out. That's like the in-between of the, you know, there's, I guess the best way to describe it is the 50 future value guys are the guys that are just on the outside of the top 100 list. It's a wide range. It's a wide net that you're kind of casting there. There's 50 future value guys that really weren't considered for the top 100 list, but you could still at least make a, 
case for those guys. As you know, I always talk about with the top 100 list, there's probably 200 guys or 250 guys that you could at least make some semblance of a case. The Cubs have a lot of those guys that you can at least make some semblance of a case. And that's why I really like the system. In addition to what they've got at the top end, of course, as always, we are going to share the screen, follow along with the article for those on YouTube. And then if you're listening and are able to follow along, Links in the episode description to click on that article that's live already. Or, of course, you can go check that out later if you're driving or on your commute. But I'm excited to talk about the names to watch, Jack. At the same time, it does make me a little bit sad. Alphabetical, remember that. That's how we go with the names to watch. It's not in any specific order. But it it is almost poetic that alphabetically, Brennan Davis comes up number one here. Because if you've been listening to basically any prospect talk that I've done right at any time that I have a microphone in front of me and I've talked about prospects basically since the beginning, Brennan's been one of the guys that I just really loved. I really fell in love with the game and, and, and I felt like was one of the, the early guys on his breakout. And, and when he went out and did what he did in South Bend, and then we saw what he did in the futures game, and it was also exciting and it seemed like it was all coming together. And then injuries have just really derailed this guy. And that's why it's so hard to assess him. And really, I don't, even bother trying to make a new assessment from what we had before and where we're at now, other than the fact that it's all about health. That's the assessment. Obviously he's not the consensus top 100 prospect he once was, but at the same time, there's still that human being in there. And we've seen it stretches, you know, where he has looked like a guy that could be a multi all-star, but now it's just, he looks like a shell of himself physically and we're just kind of waiting to see if he can get back to himself physically. I wanted to start with Brendan. I know we usually fly through the names to watch, but yeah. I, I'd be remiss to just gloss over Brendan with how much I've talked about him and uh, since I've been doing this and also just with how much I like him and how much I'm just hoping for him to be able to put it together next year from a health perspective. Because, again, I really don't think it's about the abilities. Well, and the buy-in on the card front. I know that was one of the first guys that you really, really invested in. He was also the first really fun comp that I remember we had on the show, which was dating Rihanna Matt Kemp. Like that mm-hmm. was that level of Brennan Davis. And after the 2021 season where he was the Futures Game MVP and he had an 870 OPS, that was the guy. Like he, he was tracking like a top 20 prospect in baseball hell maybe even a top 10 prospect in baseball um and and you can't say that it's lack of ability that has hindered his climb if it was lack of ability he already has his big league debut under his belt and honestly i think he's a fine big leaguer if it was a lack of ability thing problem is back issue on the heels of a concussion in 2021 and then after the back issue less than a year later it was a core muscle surgery and they were serious surgeries it wasn't like Mm -hmm. oh lingering muscle issue there was like a nerve blockage in his lower back and then a core muscle issue i can't imagine getting my abdomen surgically repaired these are two serious surgeries that i hope he can put in the rearview mirror Yeah. And, and, you know, it seems like the odds are stacked against him and that's why he's not a top 15 prospect. And that's why, you know, he's not really viewed by anybody at this point as a top 20 or so prospect in the system. That said, he's going to be the most talented guy in terms of just raw ability. If he's able to tap into any of that, that you're going to find outside of a a team's top 15 prospects because of what we've seen in the past, we've seen plus power. We've seen good speed. We've seen the ability to play center field. I don't know if that guy's going to ever really come to the surface here but there's still the hope that he can tap into the power hit enough and 
maybe settle in a corner if he's not as quick as he once was and still be a big league piece here. But it, it really has been sad to see, you know, the health really be the reason why we never got to fully find out what Brendan Davis can be. He is still relatively young. So we'll see kind of where he ends up there. Yeah. This is where I let you go, though, Jack. Fly through the rest of these names before we jump into the top 15, uh, because there are a lot of notable names here. I think that could be top 15 prospects in a lot of other systems based on projection. A lot of these guys are either far off or higher floor pieces that are relief types of guys. But at the end of the day, guys that would probably be more notable prospects in a lot of other systems. Yeah. So let's start with Christian Franklin, who is an outfielder that ended his year in double A for the most part this past year. He was in South Bend. Just turned 24 years old. So that's a 24 year old coming off of a year in high A where swing and miss is still a concern. He was really good at Arkansas. He missed the entirety of 2022 with a knee injury. So if he can, you know, keep the whiff in check and show off a little bit more power, that's probably what Christian Franklin can do. Nelson Velasquez is out of the organization now. Perlaza is out of the organization now. There's a little bit less of a log jam when it comes to power hitting outfielders as you work your way up. Drew Gray is another fascinating one. He missed all at 22 and the front half of 23 after recovering from TJ. But this is a lank machine of a left-handed pitcher. His fastball is fine. It's low 90s, can flirt with the mid 90s at its best. But if he can sit low to mid 90s, that's a lot better than just sitting 90-91 like he is right now. He was a high school guy project. Christian Hernandez. <laughs> I mean... I think a lot of people were hoping that he was a top 15 prospect in baseball right now, but he's not a top 15 prospect in the Cubs organization. No, you were dreaming on 30 to 35 homers when the Cubs dished out what $3 million for him. Problem is what was it? He slugged three Oh one this year in low a. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. know what happened because the EVs were there in stretches. I mean, there was some, some snippets of, you know, complex, kind of scrimmages or, or I don't even know, like I mix up whatever it was, whether it was extended spring training or whatever it was opportunities on the backfields where he, he was hitting the ball real, real hard, but it just hasn't seemed to come together for him. Yeah. I, not at all. So I wrote at the end of this um, might be looking at a repeat season at low a, and that's not what you want a $3 million player to be doing. Luke little is a six, eight left-hander who was a viral sensation before he got drafted. He went to a Juco power in San Jack, San Jacinto, which is where Jackson Rutledge went. Did you know JD Martinez went to Nova Southeastern? Who else went yeah. to San Jack? Oh, a lot of guys have gone to San Jack. Tons of guys have gone to San Jack. Rutledge, for some reason, is the one that just jumped to mind immediately. But Luke Little was a San Jack guy. Um, he, I, I think it was Tread. He was at Tread Athletics during the beginning of the COVID pandemic, 2020, when the world was shut down. And there was a video that went viral during that 2020 shutdown of him throwing 105 miles an hour. So Cubs take it. I want to say fourth round. He's not 105 right now, but he can flirt with 100. He's 96 to 98 for the most part. Um, and, and I saw him. I got an in-person look at him in the relief role. He was a starter for his first two years in the Cubs org. He made the switch to the bullpen this year, had an ERA in the low twos, struck out the world and started with, what, six and two thirds scoreless to begin his major league tenure. Yeah. He should be in the bullpen on opening day. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm with you. And, and I think this is I mean, the, the command is going to be the question that always was going to be the question. But you can't teach that kind of stuff. And, and to have the secondary you know, wipe out offering two that can go with it. 
I'm excited to see what he can do as a reliever. And, and I think he's going to get every opportunity this year. By the way, just some names real quick uh, in terms of San Jack. You got Andy Pettit as you know one of the more yeah. notable names that we've ever seen. But Brandon Belt, uh, Jeremy Barfield, Dane Acker. I'm just like going through and see Taylor Hearn, Clay Hensley. I mean, you, you could go on and on and on. I think it's over over like 40 big leaguers. Sean Nolan, Josh Palacios. Like it's crazy how many guys San Jacinto has has turned out. Devin Smeltzer. A lot of a lot of big leaguers out of yeah, that. Devin Smeltzer, owner of a no hitter in yes. Jacksonville this past year. Yes. Uh, but yeah, Luke Little is uh, the recent, the most recent big leaguer from San Jack. Other names, real quick. Matt Mervis graduated. He's got over 100 ABs, I want to say, or like 95 ABs. Yeah, so I, I wanted to I wanted to make the cutoff kind of moving forward, especially for these team top prospect lists, right around 75, 80 plate appearances. And it'll give us yeah. the opportunity to really rank guys that you know haven't, haven't had that stretch at the big league. So Mervis has graduated, definitely would have been still within the top 15. You look at a lot of the underlying batted ball data in his big league debut, he hit the ball hard. There's obviously some some red flags that arose and they're working on that and you know continuing to try to make that path a little bit more efficient and be able to handle some of the things that gave him challenges at the big leagues but if you look at the batted ball data there there could have been a lot better outcomes for him and i think we would have been looking at it a little bit differently if a couple balls dropped or or bounced differently so it's just what comes with being a first base profile if you don't do it right away people are going to get a little uneasy pretty quickly yeah. And next name to watch is kind of in that same bucket. I, I kind of view him as like he he just took the baton from Mervis when it comes to the first base prospect with helium, Hayden McGeary. Mm-hmm. If you have a moment, go look at his baseball reference page and his numbers at Colorado Mesa. This oh, guy yeah. in in what, 70 games? No, 57 games hit 481 with 35 homers. I think it was a 1600 OPS. Um, and so far, 142 pro games. Uh, he's sporting an OPS right around 850, 860 um, with 99 driven in. So he yep. is a run producer. Uh, would like to see more than 20 homers in his first 142 yeah. games. It's surprising you mentioned that because I mean, he hits the crap out of the ball. 90th percentile, 108 last year. I mean, monster EVs through. I, we There was some that really popped up, I remember, during the season. I think I saw one that was like 118, or, or at least that one is in the ground. But we, we saw as high as 114 with him. So 114 mile per hour max in the air. Like, that's that's big boy juice. And he's, you know, he might continue to tap into a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, Pedro Ramirez is an interesting one. This is a teenager that sported a K rate in low A at 17% and had a 120 WRC plus. And I think Pedro Ramirez came into the year as the clear Robin to Christian Hernandez's Batman in Myrtle Beach. It was like, oh, everybody's excited to watch Hernandez. And then Ramirez was the way better one of the two. So that's exciting. And I think that this guy shoved himself onto the radar of Cubs prospect people. Absolutely. And being a switch hitter, good field to hit, you know, there's, there's pressure on the bat given, you know, a little bit of the limited defensive value and probably trying to figure out second or third, if he plays third, going to need to tap into a little bit more power, but at 19 to already have that polish, you got to be excited about that. I'm going to go out of order here. I'm going to go one, three, two on the screen right now, Rivera Wiggins Valdez, because Aram, I want you to read aloud the first sentence of Rivera's write up. College production, especially in the SEC, matters. Yes, <laughs> that's it. it. That's it. it that's matters. It. 
It yeah. matters. And Josh Rivera was SEC player of the year caliber. Obviously, Dylan Cruz took it home, but in a conference with Cruz and Skeens and on a team with Lankford and Caglione, this guy was a second team All-American. He hit 350. He had 19 homers and 18 bags in 70 games. And he went to high A. He was like, good, not great. But I think this guy is at, he's not as high floor as they come in the system because Matt Shaw is in the system, but he's a pretty damn high floor player. And if, you know, double A at some point this year is running out of middle infield of Josh Rivera and Matt Shaw, I think you can get really excited and you know you're getting some production. College production, especially in the SEC, matters. I don't love when a guy has a six and a half ERA and walks seven guys per nine at Arkansas. And that's Jackson Wiggins. To be totally honest, I'm not a big fan of Wiggins's profile, but at the end of the day, he's six, eight. He comes from like left field uh, and he can run it up to 99 miles an hour. Again, I don't love it because it's super frustrating. You see how much ability there is and how much God given there is. I need him to throw strikes, and he just hasn't yeah. thrown strikes. It's been an interesting seeing, uh, you know, especially when the Cubs had Breslow, how much they were really excited to to bet on their pitching lab and pitching development because he has a lot of characteristics that need to be altered that you know we haven't seen yet because he, he hasn't really thrown since what twenty two, right? In yeah. terms of really being able to see a, a large body of work with with Wiggins. I was kind of surprised to see the lack of extension. The fastball profile wasn't as good as as I thought it would be. The velo is there though, so if they can make some tweaks and find something there, obviously he's a fun project to to kind of work on. And there, there's a project that I'm also more excited about that we'll discuss in a moment. One last name I want to mention that we actually have to add to the document, <laughs> add to the uh, the article because I don't know why he slipped my mind is Zaire Hope, who was an 11th round pick. I, I'd assume they gave him some some overslot money there to sign him and. He's got juice, left-handed bat, corner outfielder, already flashed in, in limited reps in the complex. Exit velocities as high as 108, 109, flirting with 110. Uh, to have that kind of power from the left side generates plenty of loft. There's some swing and miss concern. He's very, very raw, but I am interested to see what he can do now as you know, he gets a full season potentially next year uh, and, and see if that power can translate with at least enough hit but definitely a name worth watching going into next year as he enters his age 19 season. Let's jump right into the top 15, Jack, because number 15 is probably one of the safer prospects that you'll have in the system in terms of just the floor and and, and the glove and everything that you're going to get there. But Luis Vasquez was a breakout for him last year, a 14th round pick in 2017 by the Cubs. They've been waiting for it all to kind of come together for him. He's a defensive wizard. I, I, one of my favorite, I probably at some point will make a defensive threat of his. It, it's been the video is that good in terms of just the things that he can do, his internal clock, the ability to throw from all these different arm angles, uh, the, the instincts. And, and that's something I'm going to talk about with another shortstop in a little bit. There's instincts really stand out with me here on, on the good defensive infielders in this system. But with Vasquez, man, it's one of the easier plus defensive grades I've given out at shortstop with that arm, with the actions just with the ability to throw from all these different angles. But the, the question always was like, okay, it's a great defensive profile here, but where is there going to be any value with the bat? Because fringy hit, you know, fringy hit tool. Yep. And up until this, this past season, there wasn't much power there either. But this past season, sees a three mile per hour jump in his 90th percentile exit velocity going up to 105, which is a huge jump that goes from, well below big league average at like 101, 102 to above big league average by a full tick at 105. And the result was a career high 20 home runs 
and an OPS of 817 between double A and triple A. So he's 24 years old and he was 23 for a large portion of the season. The entire Sometimes, season. Yeah, the entire season. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time, but he also shattered his max exit velocity in the past two. I think he was previously his 109 was his best. 112 multiple times this past year. So clearly he added strength, added impact. The glove did not you know, suffer at all yeah. by the added strength and, and impact. And the footwork is still great. And you know, I don't think he's going to hit enough to be a, a, an everyday shortstop. But if you, you mentioned in the text to me, like if he's a third middle infielder, who plugs in when you need him, you know, like in Mundo Sosa type. Not, I know he's not as athletic, but just that kind of role. That's a good player to have. And there's a reason why the Cubs added him to the 40-man roster, partly to make him avoid uh, going to minor league free agency, but also still takes up a minor league or takes up a 40-man roster spot there. He was worth it to them. Yeah, I, I don't think there's a perfect template for a third middle infielder because you could have a guy like Sosa who has minimal, minimal power, doesn't walk, but is a really good defender and runs like the wind, not necessarily in the stolen base department, but you know, whatever Jorge Mateo kind of same deal. Like we've seen him showcase some pop in spurts, but it's never really there consistently. You know, you're getting really good defense and you're getting a bunch of stolen bases. If he can get on base, it's really just like kind of, I, I almost picture like a chemist in a lab, like pouring in a little bit of this and a little bit of that where Vasquez, yes, he's a good defender. And that is the one thing that is the one thing on the checklist that you need from a third middle infielder the -hmm. rest of it is just kind of bonus like yeah he doesn't steal bases like Mateo but he hit 20 homers in triple a this year did Edmundo Sosa ever do that no he didn't so I just think like he's a really fun blend when it comes to backup middle infielder and shit man Cubs aren't looking for a starter right now they got Horner and Swanson in the long term this guy makes a lot of sense on their bench I love it because that, what's what makes that middle infield so good? I mean, obviously, both those guys can swing it when they're going right. But what makes that middle infield so good is the defense. So God forbid either of those guys goes down or you, you want to just give them a day off. Even you're, you're not going to see that drop off in middle infield defense, which I think is going to be a huge key for for the Cubs. I mean, they're going to upgrade the offense. I think they're going to continue to get better offensively. But the defense is is what I think really can make them a good, good team, especially up the middle. And to have a third guy there that just continues the narrative of elite middle infield defense, maybe one plug of the best middle infields in, in all of baseball, it just it fits like a glove. It's so plug and play. Last thing on Vasquez, I know the Cubs brass loves him. Whenever Iowa came to town, it was, tell me about the top prospects that are here. And they raved about two guys. They raved about Jonathan Perlaza because he made such big strides. Um, and they raved about Luis Vasquez because they were yeah. like, man, we were waiting for the breakout and it came. He's good for 23 years old. Don't get it twisted. I think he debuts next year and he could kind of take that bench role. Again, reason why they added him to the 40 man there. A guy who definitely will not debut next year, yeah. but has so much potential is, is Michael Arias. And Arias is a really interesting case here, right? Because he signed initially, he's a right-handed pitcher, signed initially with the Blue Jays in 2018 for $10,000 as an infielder. I don't know what happened because he never played. Like he never had an at-bat, if I'm not mistaken, and then was released in 2020, was signed later by the Cubs as a pitcher. I'm I'm assuming he did some workouts and they're like, holy crap, (laughs) this guy's throwing 98. And they signed him. It's been a work in progress. He's only thrown 120 professional innings, and he did make a lot of progress from 2022 to 2023. 
it's hard to see that when you look at the walk rates and you look at you know, just some of the starts where the command just was not there at all. But when you look at the overall metrics in terms of strike rate, just some of the life on his stuff, velocity, his mechanics, he, he definitely improved from 2022 to 2023. And again, he's very young in his pitching development, let alone the fact that it was his age 21 season anyways. Fastball is plus. It's 95 to 98, touching 99. He's got a, a four-seamer that kind of dead zone shape at times, but because he releases it from a five foot flat release height, it still misses enough bats and plays as an above average to potentially plus pitch in the upper nineties. I think the shape needs to be a bit better to be a a true plus pitch, but then he predominantly throws a two seamer with that late arm side run that, you know, from that release point, I know two seamers generally play better from a high release point when, but when you're that low throwing it that hard with that kind of run, it's a nightmare for hitters, and and it was a pitch that definitely gave some low-way hitters some trouble. The changeup can be insane, too. I sent you a few that were particularly insane. It has screwball shape at 88 miles an hour. The challenge is every pitch that's not a fastball, he threw for a strike 52% of the time. He did make a big big step forward with the fastball going from 55% strike rate to like 66, but the changeup could be plus-plus or at least plus-and-a-half and it just he's not giving it a chance to be right now with the lack of command. This the cutterish slider could be above average too. I mean, it's a legit three pitch mix here, Jack. And I know you love the 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 loose delivery on the mound. Yeah, it's easy. It's athletic. You can see that he was a shortstop, although baseball reference won't tell you that he was a shortstop. Really, anywhere won't tell you that he was a shortstop. It's well documented that he was signed as a shortstop by the Blue Jays in 18. But like I actually did some research. Like I, I went into this last night. I was like, why did he not log in at bat, even in the DSL? Why? And I got no answer. So if any no. of you know why, I would yeah. love to know why. But I, like from 2018, when he got signed to 2021, there was nothing. And then all of a sudden, he resurfaces as an arm with the Cubs. I guess he was signed in 2020. I get the 2020, you know, nothing happened. But like what happened in 19? Did he not play in the DSL at all? Um, yeah, I, I just I love the converted position player to the hill if they are this athletic and this young. And that's where I buy in because there is so much tread left on those tires. There's zero wear and tear on that guy's arm. Yeah. Like zero. So I I think like, yeah, it's all a crapshoot when it comes to pitchers arms. I'm rereading the arm by Jeff Passan right now. I love it. And and it totally is just, it it, it is a crapshoot, but with how little this arm was used in a pitching perspective coming up, I think that bodes well for how quickly that guy can figure it out. And he still has a lot to learn. The fact that in his nascent stages, he's a good high A pitcher. Yeah. Really impressive. Yeah. No. And I think that's what really stands out too, is like the fact that he could just battle and compete and despite not really being around the zone nearly as much as he should is able to keep runs off the board at a relatively respectable rate, which we're going to talk about the same thing with Jackson Ferris is encouraging. And I will say that that changeup could be elite. And again, it's, it's really just him against him on that where changeup opponents hit 140 against it. It's, it's just, it's so good too, with the late movement that he can throw it right on right and it can still be a problem. And then that cutter is slider opponents hit below hundred against it. But the problem was, both those pitches, 52% strike rate. So something to monitor there. But even if he ends up in a relief role, that fastball probably plays closer to 98, 99. And that changeup and slider 
if he, if he, if it's even just relatively around the zone, he could be a nasty multi-inning relief guy or or swingman type with with big whiff potential. But I know with how young he is in his pitching development, and with the Cubs still feeling like they they have this overhauled you know, pitching development department and the pitch lab and all that good stuff, even without Breslow, I feel like they really want to see this one through and and see where Arias could end up. And I'm excited to find that out and see how that athleticism can continue to maybe play on the mound and at least get him to fringy command. Yeah, and there are a lot of relievers that would love to have the pitch mix that he does. I will say oh, that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Number 13, B.J. Murray. And you, you may have seen him play for Great Britain in the World Baseball Classic. He's a Bahamas native, or at least his family is. And I'll tell you what, man, I like this guy. I just I like his game. It reminds me of Justin Henry Malloy with the Tigers a little bit, where it's good hit. Great approach that really accentuates that hit, right? Sub 20% chase rate. I think he's a little bit better defensively, whereas Malloy looks like he's probably playing a corner outfit. I think BJ Murray does not get enough credit for, for what he can do at third base. I actually think he's, he's a good third baseman there, at least average. And I loved what I saw in the video. I was expecting it to be worse. The power probably closer to, and I actually have to update it. I don't know why it has these grades. I'm just realizing that the, it has the wrong table in there. Uh, but it, the power I've got him at, at about average. I think that the power is about a 50 in terms of the raw power and the game power is probably closer to a 45. And then you got 50 run and field at about a 45. So you got average tools across the board, great makeup, a switch hitter with a good field to hit who walks and it comes from a baseball family. Like sign me up for that. I, I think Murray is a high floor, solid bat in this Cub system that maybe doesn't get enough love. Yeah, and you're okay with the swing and miss, much like Malloy. And that's kind of Malloy's thing. It's, hey, I'm going to take a lot of pitches. Some of them are going to be strikes. Some of them are going to be balls that are called strikes by human umpires. Like, we get it. That's just how we got to work with it. Um, but he is a high OBP guy that ripped a ton of doubles this year. I think it was with 34 doubles to go along mm -hmm. with 16 homers. Yep. Yeah, man. And then he was an opportunistic base dealer, too. 14 for 17. If I'm getting 14 for 17 in the stolen base department from a corner infielder, I'm over the moon elated with what that guy is giving me on the base paths. He seems yep. like a player that every organization wants. Especially when you get him in the 15th round. Again, yep. uh, for those watching on YouTube, got to clean that table up. But this guy was a 15th round pick out of Florida Atlantic. And it really clicked for him his his final season at FAU. And then he just parlayed that into continuous success professionally. And then it really put it all together in double A this past season. And from both sides of the plate, his 90th percentile exit velocity of 103.5 is, is right on par with big league average. So again, that 50 raw power, very easy grade to give there. Then again, he maximizes that with his patience, picking his spots to try to let it eat a little bit more, those 16 homers, and also that patience reflecting in a 382 on base, 54 total extra base hits as well. This is That's a really good season for a guy who comes from kind of mid-major and then puts up good numbers in the lower levels and then plays the whole year in double A, makes that leap, deals with the tack ball, all that good stuff. And looks really, really good overall. The fact that he can actually play a serviceable third base, I think really helps his profile. And I think this guy could be an average regular uh, if the bat continues to, to progress the way it looks like it is. Seems like it. Save big on brunch for mom all in the Kroger app. Get 16 ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Number 12, Alexander Canario. And I know Cubs fans were clamoring for more opportunities for him last year. But the more I kind of dive into this situation, it's actually remarkable that Canario was even able to make his big league debut period last year, considering what happened in 2022. 2022, he hits 37 home runs across three levels, finishing in AAA after a dreadful start to the season just went nuts. And it was really cool to watch this guy just put it all together offensively. He parlayed that into you know an opportunity in the Winter League where I think he wanted just to keep riding the hot hand and show the Cubs that he could maybe break camp in 2023. And in the Winter League, dislocates his ankle on a bad step right and falls and also separates his shoulder. So he has to get surgery on both. I can't imagine getting surgery on your ankle and your shoulder and then trying to get back from that. He doesn't return until July 14th to Triple A, which I honestly think is a pretty quick turnaround from you know the end of the year getting hurt and then coming back off of two surgeries. And I pretty much picked up where he left off. The timing was a little bit you know inconsistent at times. There was a little bit more in zone whiff, but he still put up an 866 OPS in 36 Triple A games and earned a big league opportunity. It was kind of on the bench and sporadic at bats, if at all. But that said, still was able to debut after such a catastrophic injury less than a year prior. That's pretty amazing stuff. And that's why I kind of take the whiff with a grain of salt last year. I still think it's a below average hit tool regardless. But we saw better bats of ball in 2022. And I do think you got to give him the benefit of the doubt with the big layoff, with the shoulder issue that, you know, the elevated whiff in terms of the underlying end zone and those things may have been, and I talked about this actually in the last episode where I was like, yeah, Canario's in zone whiff is a little bit alarming, but now kind of un, you know, zooming out and realizing the entire scenario and everything that he went through last year, I think he's worthy of a little bit more patience in that regard. And I, I do think that even with a 30 hit tool, his plus power and, and decent defense in the corner can make him a, a, a regular. Feels like a long time ago that Canario and Killian were acquired for Chris Bryant Canario's still a young dude, and the fact that he's got a couple games in the big leagues under his belt already on the heels of that is that's everything for a young outfielder like that. If they want to turn him into trade bait, they can. I think that this guy has the potential to be an everyday outfielder in Major League Baseball. He is good enough defensively in a corner. I think I called the 115. His max is 115. I called like a 113 or maybe a 115 from him. He is a rotational athlete, man. He's not hulking by any stretch. He's strong for sure, but the way that swing looks and the way that ball jumps off his bat, that's rare what he does. And he had that in 2021 when he was in San Francisco or San Jose, I guess, low A, and then he made his way to South Bend too in 2021. He had that in 22 when he hit 37 jacks. And he had that in 2023 when he made that happen to the point where he was ready to be called up. He's an everyday outfielder. I, I do stand by that. You, you do. You think he's an everyday? Out- I, 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 I think I think there's a chance for that if he can hit enough. And I, I think the one thing I'd love to see is, is just cut down on the chase. Be a three true outcome guy because <laughs> he's going to play good enough defense and he can hit you 30 home runs if he walks enough and and becomes that kind of three true outcome guy. So I almost would rather see him do that. And he's not over aggressive by any means, but I feel like with that 30 hit tool type, you got to be BJ Murray type of patient. And if he can do that, I do think he can be a regular, but at the very least, I do think he's a a solid platoon power bat that could get you four 
three, 400 plate appearances a year and offer a lot of juice. But I do think he has a, a, a path to being an everyday guy, too. I do agree with that. Yeah, I think if you give him 140 games, he runs into 30 to 35 homers. I, Yeah. I don't think that's crazy at all. Uh, it's just the risk, I guess, kind of keeps him just just outside of the top 10. Yeah. Number 11, Ben Brown. And some may be surprised to see him kind of slide a little bit here. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to kind of kick it to you here on, on Brown uh, and what you saw, because I know you got plenty of looks at him, you know, just from broadcasting games in AAA last year. But Brown, I mean, it's, it's been awesome to see his ascension, especially after getting traded over to the Cubs. You can't teach 6'6", you can't teach mid to upper 90s, and you can't teach the arm speed and that just tough delivery. It's a little cross body with that arm speed, so the ball just gets on hitters quick. If you look at extension, release height, induced vertical break, those things, it's not the the best profile in the world, but he compensates for that with the fact that he's 6'6", does at least get average extension, and I mean, the way he whips that arm around from a slightly cross you know, cross-body delivery, you can just tell hitters are like, holy crap, in terms of how fast that ball gets in on them. Curveball's nasty. Those two pitches make him a big league reliever at the very least. And I think that's what it looks like he's kind of tracking towards. The slider is above average, at least flashes that, but it's just too inconsistent. And the command, it it was just below average last year, Jack. And and I'll kick it to you there. We saw him transition to a reliever at the end of the year. I don't know if that was for the Cubs in terms of looking at him as a guy that can maybe help them that year as a reliever. And that's why they had him do that. Maybe to manage his innings. I don't know. Or the Cubs may just be looking at this guy as a reliever. If I'm not mistaken, I think he was dealing with a nagging injury at the end of the year too. So Mm -hmm. that could have been why they made that move, but also, you know, it was so Jekyll and Hyde in some starts where he looked unstoppable and the beginning of the 23 season with that tack ball in the Southern league, he looked unstoppable. Mm -hmm. Then he gets to AAA, and a couple starts into AAA, he looks unstoppable. And then there were a couple of starts where the wheels just fell off command-wise, and he became a one-pitch pitcher. I saw him where he was untouched, like nobody could get a barrel on, on a fastball from him, let alone a breaking ball. And then I saw some starts where I, he was scrapping the slider and the curveball entirely, and it was just fastball, fastball, fastball. And you can't get away with that at the big league level. You can in AAA even. You can definitely do it with a chemically enhanced baseball in AA, but you just can't do it when Christian Yelich is on the other side. And then the following weekend, you're in St. Louis and Nolan Arenado's on the other side. Yeah. Um, that is, I guess, the main concern for me is there may be a day where he runs out there and he doesn't have a breaking ball. You can't get through five like that. You can't get through three like that. So you got to be able to get your way through one. He, he yeah, tell you what, and just like seeing him in person, being at field level when he's at field level, I'm like, wow, like you're just not built like a normal human being. You're you're built like a professional pitcher. It's bizarre, like long neck, long arms, long legs. Everything is like fascinating. Uh, but I just I worry about his ability to go to Plan B. I don't know if there is a Plan B or a Plan C. Yeah. And the other thing is it's an arsenal that's really geared towards getting righties out. So that, that fastball reliance is going to be even, even more so against lefties where it's, it's fastball and there's a pair of breaking balls. The changeup's pretty much gone, right? He's, he's just not using that. And the slider became so inconsistent for him down the stretch that pretty much phased that out. As you mentioned, he, over his last 10 appearances, 44% strike rate on the slider. So scrap that in terms of just when he's not going right. So it's fastball curveball. His curveball even at times was 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 inconsistent command wise. So as you mentioned, 
one pitch guy through stretch. So 65% fastball usage there. He doesn't have the, the shape to get away with that. The velocity is great, but when you know that a fastball is coming and more advanced hitters are, are getting ready, I mean, they're going to just try to gear up for that. And eventually the guys like Christian Yelich and, and, and big league hitters will, will catch up to that. So I do think ultimately reliever role makes the most sense. That fastball can still play up. It, you're not going to have to worry about second time through hitters starting to, to pick it up a little bit better and, and more pressure on those secondaries. And he can go fastball curveball and just bully guys. And I think that high leverage slash multi-inning relief being able to kind of do a little bit of both. He could be a really fun Swiss army knife for the Cubs as soon as is this coming season. And I think that's ultimately the best role for him in an emergency. If you need him to open and go three, four innings, I think he can do that. And if he's doing well, you can ride him to five, but I just, I just don't see that happening consistently at the big league level. And I don't know if anything's going to change at this point at 24 years old with kind of the start. We saw the way he kind of trended downwards, some of the, the ailments as well. It just all kind of seems to be coming together for him to be a great bullpen arm. Who's capable of being stretched out a little bit yep into the top 10 jackson ferris so ferris gets the edge because well one he's not even 20 years old yet he's about to be 20 but age 19 season what he did this past year was was awesome and and i think you know you look at the command you look at the walk rates i think around 14 percent. you could see that and be like oh okay you know is, is this another ben brown type of situation is this a dj hearse type of situation maybe but DJ Hers is not 6'4". DJ Hers doesn't touch 97, 98 with, with as little effort like Jackson Ferris does. Ferris is funky, and that, that works in his favor. And I also, also think it works against him, right? That, that funkiness in his delivery, I think, is hard to repeat. So while that funkiness encourages whiff, it also encourages, I think, you know, inconsistent delivery, inconsistent landing spot, and, and just sometimes kind of being out of sorts. When everything's right, you got two-plus pitches, you got another above-average offering, and then you get the change up, which is, you know, far off in a work in progress. But there's a reason why the Cubs gave this guy $3 million in the second round. And I mean, it's a drafting masterclass to save on Kate Horton and allocate a lot of those savings to, to Jackson Ferris here. But that's top 25 pick money to, to get Jackson Ferris here. And again, another bet on their pitching development. You got a fastball that looks like it can be, it can be plus. You've got a slider that I think almost breaks too much. 17 inches of horizontal. And averaging that, I think only four or five starters averaged in the big leagues that much horizontal. So it's just hard to command that much horizontal break. And I think that's part of the problem, too. So he's just got to make some tweaks, refine the arsenal, figure out how to not compromise the deception that helps him while also being able to repeat those mechanics and fill up the zone. But again, Jack, you look at the numbers for what he was able to do in terms of keeping runs off the board as a prep 19 year old with with iffy command, I think speaks to his ability to just kind of battle. And also speaks to the stuff. Yeah, no, I think it speaks more to the stuff. For sure battle and for sure not let things get away from you. But if the stuff is that good where it's like, ah, crap, I don't know where it's going on a day-to-day basis and you're still punching out 10 in a given start and like, you know, allowing – there had to be – I don't have the game log in front of me. There had to be several occasions where he walked more guys than base hits he allowed in a given start. And that is the mark of a guy whose stuff is just too good for a level. And that's who Ferris was at the complex in Loa. Yeah, there was there were several of those, um, yeah. to be honest. And, and again, it, it really never was a matter of, of giving up hits. What, how many how many hits do you think? What was the most he gave up in a single outing? And, uh, it was a postseason start where I'm pretty sure Charleston 
the Rays brought yeah. down Xavier Isaac. Like they, they were loading up for the championship there to get some guys some additional reps too. How many hits do you think was the most that he gave up in the how, entire season? How many innings did he go? Uh, the most he's gone in an entire outing is five. But you know, I think they were also kind of you know, being careful with him. But in the two outings where he gave up this many hits, it was three innings and four and two thirds, both against Charleston, which is ironic. I'll say six or seven. Five. <laughs> okay. He never gave up more than five hits. And yes, there were a lot of walks, but it wasn't like you didn't get the egregious six or seven walk outings. He also never walked more than four, but every single start was two, three, or occasionally four. Uh, aside from one, actually, second to last outing of the year was phenomenal. Five innings, one hit, no runs, one walk, six Ks. So you got those flashes. And what I love, too, is he maintained his velocity all year. He averaged 94 miles an hour all year. So he was able to kind of build that workload up a little bit. Looks really good. I mean, you got the potential for three nasty pitches built in deception. I think a potential tick up in velocity, 6'4", 210. He's not even 20 yet. I, that's a guy that I think can also eke out another tick or two. And all of a sudden, that's middle rotation stuff at the very least. And even if the command is fringy, I still think he can stick in the rotation with that kind of stuff. Next up, we go to number nine and kind of the polar opposite. That's why it was so hard to rank these guys against each other. But you got to take the slam dunk big league starter when you got the slam dunk big league starter. And Jordan Wicks checks in at nine. I I almost wanted to have him a little bit higher, but I think it's more of a testament to the rest of the system and how good it is. I think you could make the case for Wicks being higher. Uh, You could probably make the case for him at seven, as you see some of the other guys we'll talk about in a moment. But, I mean, dude, Wicks flew through the minor leagues and he made his debut at the big league level in, what was it, like 26 starts. Uh, And and just that's why they drafted him. The polish, the field of pitch. It's nothing really jumps out in the arsenal besides the changeup. The changeup's plus plus. And then I think you struggle to find an above average pitch beyond that. But with plus command, a really good field of sequence, that kitchen sink approach, that you vary your looks enough, super cerebral. He's just going to be able to massage his way through lineups and I think be a, a number four, number five starter for a long time who can just give you a, a low to low four ZRA and just eat through innings. Five pitch mix with good command is my kryptonite. Like there's just, there's nothing I can do to not fall in love with that guy, especially when, you know, they do wear rec specs in college or like sport goggles, however you want to, you know, call them now. Um, I thought his major league debut was one of the more aesthetically pleasing big league debuts from a pitch arsenal perspective where it was a guessing game every single pitch and it resulted in either five and a third or like six shutout innings of work he was so good and yes he got roughed up by better lineups but that's the point of a five, is it not? It's getting yeah. you through the below 500 competition. You don't feel great when the five is on the hill against the best lineups in baseball, but that's okay. You're not going to have five guys in a given rotation that are going to go out and beat the best lineups in baseball on a nightly basis. So I think this guy was foolproof at a K-State, and his limited minor league experience proved that he was foolproof. And when he got to the big leagues, I think that further just solidified that, you know, much like this version of Kyle Hendricks, while it's not really, really good, like Kyle Hendricks ERA title was in 2016, it's kind of foolproof. Yeah. And and what I love is that you you could see a pitcher like this, you get bumped up to the big leagues. Also, at every stop, the ERA just always seemed to just maintain in the mid to high threes. It didn't matter. He's the same guy every single time. 
his changeup is so much better than any other pitch that he has that you'd see a lot of arms typically just abuse it, right? Start to use it too much to where it nullifies the the value of the pitch because hitters just see it so much. He did use it slightly more at the big league level, but I, I love the restraints that he, he only threw it 30% of the time. And I know 30% sounds like a lot, but not when you have one 70 grade pitch and you're fighting for one other 50 grade pitch. So to be able to still, I think sequence, not shy away from his four seamer, the two seamer, which I think that that two seam sinker was huge for him just to be able to change the eye levels and be able to have a pitch to contact offering that I think allows him to kind of keep the pitch count down and, and change his looks and maybe get some early contact and at bats and be able to hide that change up a little bit more. So I just think it's amazing that even with these aggressive promotions and everything, he didn't throw it more than 25 and then in the big leagues 30% of the time and was able to still massage his way through lineups with all of these different looks and being able to just kind of keep hitters off balance, speed them up, slow them down, uh, manipulate some of his pitches, locate. And that two seamer sinker that he ran in on lefties became a really good weapon for him there. And, and he was able to kind of tie lefties up with that. And then the cutter, it's a work in progress, but that's how he's trying to tie up righties. Then you get the changeup, which can get both guys out, and the slider, which looks like it could also be a weapon against lefties with some good sweep. He's kind of got the arsenal that is just good enough with great execution to be a back end of the rotation starter. And I think you and I have a lot of confidence in him being able to be a great executor at the big league level. For sure. Number eight, a guy that kind of broke my brain as we we talked about just kind of where he lines up here. I, I got a good look at him in the Arizona Fall League, and that kind of, I think, instilled more confidence for me in him. But it's James Triantos. Triantos is a unique, unique profile. And that's kind of in a bad way, but in somewhat of a good way too, right? Like plus hit, sneaky pop that I think is starting to develop a little bit more to at least being fringy. And he's a good athlete. He's a pretty good – he moves well. He's, he's stolen bags as a pro. Uh, he's shown the ability to move at least decently in the field, but all of a sudden he puts a glove on and the footwork just gets a little clunky. The actions get really rough. And I just don't like him in the infield. I love the bat in terms of his field of hit. I think his field of hit is as good as anybody's in the system. He can get to tough pitches. He has these you know, B swings with you – know, he just throws his hands out, ass out singles. That You're like, how did he get to that? We have one on our YouTube that we posted that it's just an insane swing. How did he even get to that? But he also struggled at time with pitch recognition. I'll get into that on the breaking balls and stuff. The Cubs are still trying to figure out where this guy's going to play defensively. Yeah. And I think that's important because – you're trying to figure out what the offensive profile or you know what the offensive profile is, but you're trying to figure out where that plays. And if he's stuck at third base, there's a lot of pressure on that hit tool all of a sudden because he's not going to develop into above average power. And that's why I think you look at second base. But I really didn't like what I saw defensively at second base. And I think they got to give this outfield thing a little bit more of a look. Yeah, but like, do you want a guy with a minimal power output patrolling the outfield for you if it's not center like there are corner well, I can power left field i can power left field you can pallet left but it's got to be really good defense do you think it can blossom into really good defense or is it just serviceable left field defense i think he can blossom into a better defender and left than he is at third and so if he's an average defender and left yeah. he can sprinkle in 15 20 bags because he just has a good first step and I think with the ability to hit for high average, sprinkle in at least 10, 15 home runs, it's a unique profile, but 
it's kind of, I think, catapulted by how many doubles he can hit, how good the hit tool is. I just think you got to find somewhere where he's not a liability defensively. And yeah. the, the video I kind of crushed through and, and what I saw in person, I thought he made a lot more progress in the outfield with less reps than he did in the infield with a lot of reps and a lot of work. So I would love to see them try the outfield thing a little bit more. But that said, what he did in the Arizona Fall League was remarkable. Uh, I mean, just was the best hitter out there. What do you hit, like 400? And, mm-hmm. and when's the offensive player of the year? Was he the MVP or the offensive player of the year? I think it was the offensive player of the year. I'll get that. Same thing. And what I saw, though, was a tangible adjustment, very small but tangible, in his load. Before, it was a, a, a quick and kind of rushed load, and he really struggled with breaking balls. He just always seemed to be going forward. Uh, and, yes, he could get to them and foul them off or get, get weak contacts, but he always seemed to be on his front foot prematurely with spin. Then he goes to the fall league, slows his load down a little bit, starts it a little bit earlier. It's smoother. It builds a little bit more, and he's able to hold his weight back a little bit better. And all of a sudden, he's putting better swings on breaking balls, putting better swings on non-fastballs. And that was, I think, the one thing that was really missing to kind of get that power playing up a little bit closer to average and also just getting that hit tool solidly in the plus department. He hit 350 against fastballs all year. That's that's never been an issue. But now to see what he did against secondary stuff, he had three extra base hits in like 90 games in the regular season against secondary stuff. Then in 22 Arizona Fall League games, four extra base hits against secondary stuff, better contact rates, better EVs. I always talk about A swings and B swings. If you pick up a ball well, a breaking ball well, you're going to get your A swing off still, right? If you don't pick it up well, but you have a good feel to hit, it's this weird thing where you're almost better off in certain counts swinging and missing than taking this front leg heavy B swing and a 2-1 count where you roll over to third base, right? And right. that was kind of the problem with Triantos. So now that I think that he's started to rectify that a little bit, I do think that there could be a little bit more power. I think the hit tool is going to comfortably play his plus, and now it's just a matter of where the hell does this guy play defense? Yeah, best case scenario would be he just figures out second base and you don't have to like cater to what he's comfortable at right now. It's like, hey, go learn second base and he does it. Um, if I were a guessing man, I am a guessing man. If I were a betting man, I'd bet he stays at third base this year. And, and I only say that because he had a great fall league. He finished the year in double A and the Cubs are starved for third base talent right yeah. now. Like you look at second base. They've got that taken care of in Horner and in Matt Shaw and whoever else you want in Luis Vasquez with, with third base. It's like, are you going to go sign Matt Chapman? Are you going to trade for Paredes? Cause like, there's no internal option right now. You want wisdom back there. You want Morel back there. Morel can't throw like it, it's just, there are so many questions at third base. I wonder if organizational need impacts that by the way, Jacob Marcy, the Padres was the AFL MVP. Mm-hmm. Uh, Triantos was the offensive player of the year. And Ryan Bliss of the Mariners was defensive player of the year. Got it. So, That's right. Okay. Interesting. But yeah, if I were to bet, I'd say he spends this year at third base, even though I just, in order to maximize his value, I would say get really good at second base. Yeah. And and I'm going to pound the table and say, please learn outfield. Give this, give this guy some more reps and left. I actually thought he tracked the ball well. I thought his first step, again, you, you, we see him as, as a stolen base guy. He's, he's been an above average stolen base guy because that first step is good. I see that first step in the outfield and that arm. His problem is he has a good arm. It's above average. It's just incredibly inaccurate. He, he has a lot of errant throws. It was just inconsistent for him from a throwing perspective. And with the hands, you look at the numbers, man, he committed a lot of errors this past year. I think left field makes the most sense, but 
I would love to see like an equal split between third and, and the outfield and eliminate one of these infield spots. So we can just focus on one infield spot and the outfield and just kind of see what progresses the best instead of here's center field, here's left field, a little bit of third, a little bit of second. It's just like, oh my gosh, how is he going to learn one spot? And, and, and I think that's part of the, the issue there and part of the challenge. The improvements against secondaries really helped me push him up. Better batted ball data in terms of exit velocities helped me push him up. And I think the high floor of him at least really having a good chance of being a big leaguer also pushed him up. There's that like Ty France similarity if he has to move to first. Again, puts more pressure on the field to hit. But he's shown that there's a lot of reason to believe in the field to hit. Yeah. Number seven. We get to, I think, one of my favorite dives that I was able to do offensively in this in this farm system breakdown. Moises Ballesteros, who also has one of the best nicknames, Mo Baller, uh, which is oh. just so cool. Cubs fans are so good with the nicknames. He's a catcher for now, and I think there's a lot of importance. Another guy we're trying to figure it out positionally, a lot of importance on being able to settle in and find it at catcher, being able to to, to – be at least a serviceable catcher because he's like five, nine, depending on who you ask. I think that's generous. I think he's closer to five, eight, maybe five, seven. And with that respect, like that would be the shortest first baseman in major league baseball. And he's 235 pounds. He ain't playing somewhere else. It's all about the bat. It's all about the bat with him. And I think the bat is above average hit above average power. And it's a majestic swing. I mean, it enters the zone really early his path is beautiful and he just lives through it. He maintains his direction so well. He is able to go foul pull to foul pull with the power. But then when he goes pull side, it flashes plus. It's a really fun swing to watch from the left side. And that's where the like that's where the value comes from, right? We talk about like Samuel Basayo. That's an elevated version of this. I think with also a little bit better defensive ability at catcher. But there's a reason why this guy got $1.5 million. He can swing it. I just would love to see him give himself a chance by getting a little bit more athletic physically. Can I just say like reading this write up in the editing process, like I just, I read Kirk, like I read Alejandro yeah. Kirk to a T where yeah. it's really smooth feel to hit. And there's enough power here. Like Kirk's not a 30 Homer threat. Kirk's a 20 to 25 guy. Like 25 is the high end. Where's Ballesteros on the high end. Is it 25? Yeah, I think 20, I think, I think 25, but I, there might be a little bit more in there. It's like, you can't project the frame in terms of, oh, wiry frame. There's room for muscle. But I think some of that mass can be converted into strength. Yeah. And I, I think that's how the Blue Jays kind of viewed Kirk in his early twenties. But once they got into the mid twenties and the mass wasn't converted, it was like, okay, you're just going to be a silky hit tool catcher that like, hey, now He's I will say a lot more better EVs though. I think than anybody expected. Yeah. Um, I will say like Kirk figured out how to use his frame behind the plate. So even if he doesn't shore up the physique, like you probably just look at Kirk and it's like, Hey, do what he does. Like all the movements he makes behind the plate, do what he does behind the plate. Alvarez is not a good example. Francisco Alvarez in New York, because that guy is like a muscle hamster. Like that's all already solid rock muscle. This is just like mass. Yeah. And I think the mask kind of gets in his way at times. Like he just doesn't slide well behind the dish. The blocking was was a little bit of a tough watch. The I mean, arm is really good. Issue. Yeah, it is. And, and that's why it's like, I do wonder how much pressure is going to be put on him to for his fitness. And, and that's up because like, the bat's there. If he can even be a fringe average catcher, he's a top 100 prospect comfortably. But that's the problem is he's just, he's a well below average catcher at this point. He does flash 
average pop times because of his arm. His catch and throw skills are good. I thought his receiving has gotten a lot better. I watched it progressively from 2022 into this season, much better with the receiving, but you know, he's got to be able to block better. He's got to be a better catcher overall. He does have a good motor back there. He does work hard for his pitchers. The bats really what I love though. It's above average power. He gets into it in games with a, with a nice lift, but balances that with the ability to backspin to all fields. And I really do like the bat. And that's why he's number seven here. I, if he has to be a, a catcher DH type, like that's fine because I still think the bat's going to be good enough to be a consistent big league piece who takes the bulk of a platoon. Got to work on some left on left stuff, but he crushes fastballs. He hits ready breaking balls well. And I mean, he was 19 at season start and put up some really good numbers you know, at the lower levels and then even played up into a, a cameo at the end of the season in double A like that. That's pretty impressive for everything that, you know, he still had to learn going into this year. And if he can just be decent at catcher, I think we're looking at a top 100 prospect easily. Cool. That's fun. Number six, probably the most unexpected name here in terms of this high. And this is the last guy who's not a top 100 prospect, Jefferson Rojas. I just fell in love with this dude uh, when I was able to just kind of go through the video and see what he was able to do. And I know uh, Greg Huss does a great job covering Cubs prospects. He's been a Rojas guy since I think the womb. I think before the Cubs even signed him, like he's been a huge fan of Jefferson Rojas. And I went on his show and he was talking Rojas and just kind of sent me down the rabbit hole of wanting to dive into a little bit extra video. And man, he showed out really well in extended spring training. I think he quitted his 107 mile per hour bomb off Zach Davies. And I think how polished he looked as an 18 year old, a young 18 year old and extended was enough for the Cubs to say, Hey, you know, let's go send this guy to, to low A, see how he does in Myrtle beach. He did well, 750 OPS in an environment. That's not the easiest to hit in. It's above average offensive output. There played good defensive shortstop. And that was what stood out to me too. His instincts at 18 years old were remarkable. There were some heady plays that were really fun to watch. I'm going to put some on Twitter in terms of just you're like, whoa, that's something that you see from like a big league veteran. How do you even think of, of doing that? You know, going there with the ball, faking here and going there. Like just the way that he kind of had this feel for the game. It seems like he's been playing it way longer than he really has. Uh, the arms above average, the, the range is good. And then the field of hits already good. He just needs to clean up the path a little bit. The lower half's a bit inconsistent. He's 18. He's already flashed 106, 107. I think there's room for a lot more, both in the added strength perspective and cleaning up the sequencing in a swing, making it easy to dream on above average power, above average hit, sticks at shortstop. That's a really good player, man. Yeah, I knew nothing about him coming into this. Really had no idea. Um, That's a great player. And the beauty of him is you've got so much time to figure it out because he can honestly climb just level by level by level if you want. Um, does he strike you as a kind of guy that has like three levels in a year helium? Like I think he could. I just wonder how they're going to handle him as a true shortstop and you're just wanting him to develop across the board because I think it's average to above. I think it's above average tools across the board. Because my thing is, if if he was in a different organization, like not to just bash Oakland, but like say he was in Oakland, right? And you perform in low A at the beginning of this year, or you say he gets like an aggressive assignment to high A at the beginning of this year. And through 30 games, he's hitting 300. Like, do you just bump him? He is a guy that could debut at young, it seems, because he's so well-rounded so early. But being in this type of organization where you do have a top jersey seller and a franchise cornerstone and Dansby Swanson at shortstop, like, You've got time with Rojas to move him level 
by level by mm-hmm. level and have him mature into a top 50 prospect in baseball. It sounds like you think he can get to that point where he is a top 50 prospect in baseball. I, I do. And you see the future value. He's the first guy that now has entered the 55 tier. And, and most of the time, 55 guys are top 100 guys. There's usually a few based on volatility or how far they off that, how far they're off that don't crack the list. And Rojas is going to probably crack the update as a top 100 guy. I think he could climb two levels next year. He starts in high A. We'll see how he does. You know, if it's a little bit of a slow start, then maybe he spends the whole year there. If he shows well, you put him in double, but there's no reason to aggressively push him from there. So then he could start 2025 at double A and you see how he goes. But I think that already puts him on a ridiculous timeline to debut right around his 20th birthday. And I think he either could be a really good trade chip for them uh, if he climbs quickly or he can be a guy that is a little bit of a, a slower process, which I don't think is going to happen because he is so advanced for his age. And, you know, you just let him kind of go level by level. I think that there's above average hit, above average power, above average defense at short and good enough wheels, slightly above average wheels that make him just a really well-rounded player. And I think there's even more to dream on potentially. I, I see like that 270, 20 home run, good defense potential at shortstop, which it's just a really good player. It's it's kind of Dansby Swanson. I know Swanson's like plus defense now, but it is cut from that similar cloth. And there's a reason why the Cubs shout out a million dollars to sign him. I'm I'm very excited about what we're going to see in a full season from him at high A. Should be a good test, and he's going to need to clean up some of those things with his bat path and, and some of his pre-swing moves. But I do think already doing what he's doing, he cleans that up. He could be a big name to watch going into next year. Love it. Into the top five. We're going to talk... Kevin Alcantara in a second here, but first a quick break. Now into the guys who are top 100 prospects. Number five is Kevin Alcantara. I mean, we've talked about him. The amount of power that he has blended with the speed, the ability to play center field, just everything that he brings to the table. I mean, his upside is as immense as as anybody's really in the minor leagues. The challenge is, is he going to hit enough? Is it all going to come together? Is he going to be able to hit the ball in the air enough to tap into that game power? Because right now it's it's average power output in games if you look at home runs and slug and all that good stuff. But he has flashed the ability to you know put up elite exit velocities. If he is anything close to what he can be while staying in center field, I mean, he's, he's an absolute menace. But I also saw what happens when he gets out of sync, right? There's such long levers. The timing can get disrupted so easily And all of a sudden, he looks so rushed at the plate. And that's exactly what I saw in the Arizona Fall League. So it's as wide of a range of outcomes as you're going to find. But the high end is so exciting that this guy's an easy top 100 prospect and a top five prospect in a really good system. He is the puzzle that I just can't necessarily figure out. And he had a great Fall League, like you mentioned. But I... I don't know, like the high months and the low months all just come out to equal an 800 OPS. (laughs) That's just how it's worked so far. And there are guys like that in every system. Thing about this guy is he's the best of those kinds of guys where you've got tons and tons to dream on. And you don't see alien life form when it comes to, you know, 6'5", switch hitting shortstop like an Ellie De La Cruz. But you see a guy that's like, how can someone that tall, that long, that lanky, produce those kinds of EVs, produce that kind of power. Like that is light tower power from a skinny guy. The answer is because he's 6'6", and because he gets so rotational that he can get into every ounce of his being. Um, He is very fun to watch. I don't... I don't know like how fun it would be if he was going through a bad three weeks at the major league level. 
Yeah. And that's the thing, man. Like when it's not going right, it's, it, it gets, it gets a little frustrating and rough. Like he's, he's super aggressive. He just gets tied up. Pitches get in on him so quickly and he just, it looks like everything's just too long. Uh, and, and I think part of that length is why he has to make decisions a little bit earlier. And when he has to make decisions a little bit earlier, he expands 35% chase rate zone contact rate of about 78%. But again, then we also see home runs that are just absolute light tower power to all fields. And you're like, whoa. But then a 50% ground ball rate, and you're like, God, come on. Like, we need more to, to be able to tap into that power. He showed the ability to do that down the stretch and looked a lot better in terms of you know creating a little bit more loft and leverage. But then you get to the fall league and it seemed like things kind of unraveled a little bit too. It's just super inconsistent, but he's just 21 years old. And if he gets anywhere near his top end outcome, he's he's an all-star. So it's just trying to figure out if he can land anywhere near that outcome. He's just 21, so he's got plenty of time to to, to get there. Yeah, and I guess you could be disappointed that he won't be there in 2024. Do you see a world where he's there in 24? I don't personally, no. but like that's okay. He's a level by level climber, like we just talked about with yeah. Rojas. Yeah, he, and there's a reason why they've been even more careful with him than Owen Casey. It seems like Casey's always a level ahead. Casey's a little yeah. bit younger and comes with plenty of of swing and miss concerns too. But it's just different because Casey can yeah. kind of command the zone a little bit better. Seems to know himself as a hitter a little bit better. It's a long progress here with Alcantara, but this is going to be a very pivotal season for him to kind of see which direction he's going to go. Because if it's a little bit of the same next year, I think he starts to get a little bit more skeptical. Though he's still early, it's still early for him. You start to wonder, you know, if he can continue to kind of keep trekking forward and improving his stock. Yeah. Number four, Matt Shaw. We don't need to spend too much time on him because we've talked about him a ton. Bowman draft. <laughs> the actual right. draft not that long ago. He's one of my favorite prospects in the draft in 2023. 13th overall pick. Absolute steal for the Cubs and has immediately looked like an absolute steal for the Cubs. Uh, above average hit. Really good contact rates. He's aggressive and still maintains really good contact rates. Plus power. At least above average game power. He's an above average runner. Not the best defender, probably going to wind up at second base, could play maybe third as well and be average at either of those spots, probably not going to play short. But that thump, that field of hit with the ability to mix in some stolen bases, I mean, this guy's just so good, and I love how adjustable he is in the box. If he feels a little – the opposite of what we're talking about with Alcantara. If he feels a little bit rushed, he tones down the leg kick, and it's more of like a small stride. If he feels like he's got plenty of time and he's seeing the ball well, he'll let that leg kick eat. And, and he'll get into it a little bit more. The malleability is really impressive from a hitter that you know was is just now was his first pro season, and I think it's a big reason why he was able to make the pro transition so easily and put up great numbers in Double A right away. He's ridiculous. I'm just I, I'm looking at the stats, kind of stop by stop. Let's start on the Cape in 2022 with Bourne. This guy in 36 games hit 360 with what 17 extra base hits in 36 games. He had 21 bags and 24 attempts. Maryland, his junior year, or I guess, uh, yeah, his junior year. Uh, 62 games, hit 341, 24 homers, 18 for 19 in the stolen base department. Then you combine his three stops. So a three-game taster in the complex, 20 games in high A, 15 games in double A. 38 games, 21 extra base hits, nine doubles, four triples, eight homers, 15 for 18 in the stolen base department. He's been good at every level for the last 365 days. And he's played at a lot of different levels in the last 365 days. He makes his debut this year. You think so? Yeah. Like September. Third? 
Maybe. I mean, shit, man. We'll see if they go and get a Chapman or an Isak Paredes. But if they run into any injury issues, who's uh, stopping Matt Shaw from debuting? Luis Vasquez. No, it's like what what Shaw sure. can do offensively is 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 awesome. You know, and that's why I, I think mean, you get excited about that and, and the speed I, that he brings. Like he's like your perfect two or three hitter. Yes. Well, and you make the netto comp in terms to his leg lift. Like, can he not survive at the major league level right now, a la Neto? I think he can. I really think he's similar. He's kind of the Neto of the, this class in terms of just he just has this God-given ability to make contact to really prepare himself for these at-bats, even though he's aggressive, still having this controlled aggression. I do think he can cut down on the chase a little bit, and I think if that if he does that, the profile even gets even more exciting because he doesn't strike out even with the expansive approach. No. Do triple-A pitchers start to exploit that a little bit more? Maybe. But if he responds back by cutting down on the chase, now he walks a little bit more. He still has that well above average feel to hit. This guy could be a problem. And you I add mean, in the, the plus raw power. I, I just I can't wait to see what it looks like, you know, at the big league level. And I mean, dude, like he was good in double A for 15 games. So how do you handle the initial assignment? It's probably double A. And then if he's good for a month, what do you do? I think double A. And then, yeah, you're ready to bump him straight to triple. And I think that's where a guy that's aggressive like him you could maybe see that get exposed a little bit more. So I would love to see how he responds in AAA. He's either going to go nuclear or might have a little bit of that adjustment period. And I think he'll adjust just fine. And I I think the ABS may help him. Like ABS could get to a point where he's saying, oh, I don't need to go chase the pitch on the corners because it's not a strike with this system now. So like you're good. We could see a, a crazy spike in OBP, which would make his overall profile that much more valuable. 100%. That brings us into number three, who, I mean, man, in terms of raw pop, I'll take him up there with just about anybody in the minor leagues. And that's why he's a top 30 prospect for me. Owen Casey, outfielder, who will probably get the assignments of AAA to start the season. I mean, he played the majority of the season in AA and dominated. I mean, hit absolute nukes. And when you saw that the tax ball phased out, even more so, all of a sudden, you know, he started to cut down on the K rate a little bit. The question's swing and miss. And I just don't think that it's enough of a concern to keep him from being a big league regular power bat. It's 70 raw power. It's 65 to 70 game. He, he moves pretty well for his size. And I think he's developed a lot on the defensive side of things. I just love his swing. I love his ability to get to pitches in different spots. Uh, I think that he taps into his power already extraordinarily well. And you just, you don't see guys popping 117s like that at his age he's 21 he was popping 117s at 20 years old and i think you you pair that with the fact that he probably will tap into even more power this guy could be a 40 home run threat if it all comes together 90th percentile of 110 that's right there with junior Camonero and like nobody else in in the minor leagues this past year like that is special special power and the contact rates are not that bad. It gets in zone contacts hovering right around high seventies, low eighties. And that's including the stretch with the tack ball. You, you zero in over the final, like 60 games of the season. He hit over 300. He struck out at like a 27% clip and he's so patient in the box. He hedges that with a 17% walk rate. There's like Kyle Schwarber comparisons here with the ability to actually play at least somewhat close to a serviceable corner outfield. Yeah. I know you're not one for hyperbole, so I'm going to force you into some hyperbole. Although it may not be hyperbole. Is he the most underrated outfield prospect in the minor leagues? I would have said absolutely before last season. 
when again we had him as a top 50 prospect and i don't think he was the top 100 prospect like anywhere now you're starting to see him on top 100 lists but yeah I but still like think he might 50. Be. yeah i still think yes i do think yes his average exit velocity was 94 miles an hour that would have ranked in the top 15 in major league baseball and again the 90th percentile of 110 was one of the best figures in the entire minor leagues and it's not like you just have data and no and no production you had the production as a guy that was younger than a lot of the hitters at his level and had weather the storm of that tact ball fiasco. Like that's incredible stuff to me. And again, I loved him before the output came together and now he did it from a, from a statistical standpoint. You look at the stat line was up there with just about anybody in double a, like what else do we need to see here? Sure. Maybe a little bit less of the strikeouts, 31% on the year. I get it. But he hedges that with the walk. He cut that down as the season progressed. He's 21. And this guy can be productive with a 30% K rate. Yeah, more than productive. 22 homers. He hit 290 at a 400 OBP. Those are the results you need. He had a home run in the World Baseball Classic in that Phoenix regional. Like, is it a regional group play in that Phoenix group? Yeah, group play. <laughs> I guess, but like the U.S. and Mexico were in there. Great Britain was in there. And then it was Owen Casey and Owen Casey went yard at Chase Field as a 20 year old, 21 year old in the World Baseball Classic. There is production out the ass here. And the WRC plus will tell you what you want to see. The batting average will tell you what you want to see. The homers will tell you what you want to see. The EVs are what back this thing up. He is. We talk about this on the Just Baseball show. Like, who puts the fear of God in a corner infielder? I think Matt Olson is that guy right now. If I'm an opposing first baseman, I'm terrified of a ground ball being hit my way by Matt Olson. That's Owen Casey, man. I don't want a ground ball hit my way. Hell no. 31 batted balls over 110 miles an hour last year. I'm good on that at first base. And again, it's all fields. He backspins balls really well. The opposite of what we were talking about with Kevin Alcantara, who 50% ground ball rate. 40% 40% ground ball rate for Casey and that, you know, maintained pretty well, continued to drop even below 40% as the season progressed. So hit the ball hard, hit it in the air. Don't chase. It's going to work out for a guy like Owen Casey. Yeah. Number two, Cade Horton. And finally the gifts are showing up for those who are, are watching on YouTube. I guess they didn't load in on the article, but you're looking at a Cade Horton gift where the curveball is just diving off of the table. It's just disgusting. Horton's one of the best pitching prospects in the sport at this point, right? I mean, you could argue that he's he's up there with with just about anybody. Plus fastball, plus slider. I think the fastball could be plus plus. Above average curveball, comfortably above average changeup, above average command. That's insane. That's four above average pitches, two that are potentially better than plus. Good command of all of those pitches, and the the numbers to back it. There are minimal flaws here. I think the only it's not even a flaw. I think the only con to Cade Horton right now is that he hasn't thrown enough innings to become the top pitching prospect in baseball. Mm-hmm. Paul Skeens is number one. Cade Horton is number two. He's a spot ahead of Andrew Painter. Jackson Job is two spots behind Painter. Yeah. He's the second best pitching prospect in baseball behind Skeens. Yeah. The fact that he found that changeup just kind of like went to a split grip and then all of a sudden that pitch was disgusting for him too. It just shows you like the guy that was two-way player, right? Like really didn't focus that much on the mound. Focus on the mound now and all of a sudden it's like, okay, you just found this changeup. And then over his last 15 starts, 
he landed that first strike around 60% of the time, but a swinging strike rate of 20% on a changeup that he just found. And you look at the numbers over the course of the year against every single offering. Fastball averaged 96, opponents at 230. Slider, disgusting at like 84, 85. Strike rate over over 67%, opponents hit like a buck 30. Changeup over the course of the season, opponents hit 230, but it got went lower and lower once he switched to that split grip. And the curveball that he did a really good job of finally differentiating from that slider, like sub 100 batting average against that uh, as he sprinkled that in with a 28% swinging strike rate. So uh, that's a pitch that could be an absolute problem too, as he gets more confident with it. I mean, like, what are we talking about here? Like this is, this is frontline upside. If he can show that he can handle the workload. And I don't think there was any indication that he can't because his velocity really maintained throughout the season, his final two starts of the year, which again, this was by far the most innings he threw. 96 mile per hour average fastball velocity, which was his highest since the beginning of the year. So that little kind of rejuvenation period that they gave him to kind of preserve the innings, he came back out fresh and was throwing hard. This was this is the type of guy that I think can just stand there and do a backflip out of nowhere. Like he's that <laughs> level of athlete. And he probably doesn't take himself too seriously. Just based on like, hey, I need a changeup. Let me go find one. Oh, damn. I need to adjust the grip to the point where it's good. Oh, wow. It's good now. Let me try it in game. It just seems like pitching may be simple for him. And those are the guys that are scariest. Yep. Yep. And I think he could debut as soon as next year, too, if the Cubs need pitching. I, I don't think that's far-fetched at all with his feel for for four pitches and the command and, and what we saw in terms of just dominance last year. Yep. Number one. The guy who made his debut and I think just was rushed and you know, it's not a fair assessment of him. Pete Crow Armstrong. I mean, Pete Crow Armstrong made that big league debut. I think there was more just because they were trying to win and, and needed some help out there. And his playing time was sporadic. Takes away from actually what was a year where I think a lot of things shine through with PCA, which was the fact that all of a sudden he's tapping into above average raw pop. All of a sudden, the game power looks like it could be above average. We know the defense is insane in center field, but also he was able to show that, hey, I know I have some you know, red flags with the whiff and, and the chase rates, but doesn't matter. I just I have a field to hit. I can make it work. And he maintained a lot of really good numbers between double A AA and triple A. I think he's got to hedge some of those issues. Like he's got to get a little bit better with, with the approach. He's got to probably be a little bit less lofty with his swing. Like it's great that he has that loft and the added impact 90th percentile exit velocity. That's just a, a hair above big league average that allows him to tap into 2025 home run power, but it also leaves him susceptible to whiff at the top of the zone. That's fine, but you got to be better at laying off of it. So when you have a, a swing with a big blue zone and you don't have the approach to hedge that you're going to be in trouble. And I think that's where he was at in the limited big league debut and just at times when he was striking out. He's still yeah. very young. He's the best defensive center fielder in the minor leagues, will be one of the best defensive center fielders in baseball uh, immediately at the big league level. And the glove with above average power, even if the hit tool is fringy and his speed, it's going to be a really good everyday center fielder. Yeah, I, we've talked about him a lot. And I think the only question that I have for you right now is opening day 2024. Pete Crow Armstrong is the opening day center fielder. Yes, no, or we'll see three weeks into spring training. I think that we'll see three weeks into spring training. And I honestly think he should spend some time in AAA. I don't know. I, and I know he already spent some time there, but I think he could use some more at bats. This guy lost basically two years of his development with the injury and then with COVID. And those compounding for him, he's 21. Yes, he's just so talented that he's been incredibly productive at 
basically every stop despite that. But I do think some of these underlying metrics will finally rear their head at the big league level. You, you just, it's hard to get away with a 73% zone contact rate and a 33% chase rate. Like you, you, there's just not hitters that, that at the big league level that can do that. It's very, it's almost, I think almost impossible. So when you look at it from that lens and you try to sort by big leaguers with those metrics, I think it's only one or two guys, if that, and they hit the living crap out of the ball. It does help that again, above average exit velocities, I take above average and, you know, hits the ball in the air as much as anybody. But I think he's got to find the balance between that steep launch angle and making more contact. And as well as cutting down on a really high chase rate. If he does those things, then I think he's big league ready. And I think he can do that within 50 games. I know he's been working on the swing. I know that there's been some you know things that they want to do to increase the efficiency of his swing. And he does that. I think he's ready, but I don't see why they should. I don't know. I don't know why you should skip the process of maybe another 100, 150 at bats in AAA to kind of work on these things in a lower pressure environment. The only reason I would push back is I don't know how this guy would take a triple A assignment at a spring training after debuting at the end of last year. He was a first round pick. He was a top 10 overall pick. He was traded pretty much one for one for a guy that finished second in MVP voting like two years before that. There are a lot of layers that go into this, and I don't know how he would take that meeting with a council and a Jed Hoyer. And that is not an indictment on his makeup whatsoever. No, I know he's got a good makeup. He's a friend of the show. I I think I would be, you know, like, and and I think that I can handle a lot. I think I would be kind of pissed off if it was like, hey, man, you debuted last year. You're our top prospect. Go spend two months in AAA. And you know what I would say to that? I'd say, here's a list of the big leaguers, qualified big leaguers with zone contact rates below 70%, chase rates above 30% and, you know, exit velocities that are, you know, whatever threshold you want to put, I don't it doesn't matter. It'll be zero. <laughs> it'll it'll legitimately be zero or one or two like borderline role players. Right. So like so it's, any do you want to go figure that out in AAA? Yeah, <laughs> frankly it's like do you want to go figure it out where the numbers don't matter or where the numbers do matter? And I I think he he's got to know, like that he's got to feel it. You you feel when you whiff at 34% of fastballs in the zone. You feel that. He's aware of that. And and he's he's really, really, really good. Again, there's a reason he's a top 15 prospect in the game for us. But he's 21. And if that you can circumvent those things in the minors because he pounds mistakes. He doesn't miss them. And the, the way he's able to hit the ball in the air consistently, he's going to hit his home runs and you're going to get more mistakes. You're going to get bailed out from time to time. You're not going to get that as much at the big league level. And, you know, if he struggles in big league spring training, I think it's easier to convey that message. If he shows out and, and shows a better path and all of a sudden things have really been cleaned up from the off season, then I think you can maybe push him and, and, and go with it at the big league level. But it's something to watch because he, he is going to need to cut down on that chase and improve the contact rates, but above average pop 80 great defense and center field, great speed and just a hard nosed knack for playing the game. I, I love him. And that's why he's one of my favorite prospects still in the game. That'll do it for this episode. Of course, we knew the Cubs one was going to be long, but we're going to continue to fly through the NL Central. A lot of fun systems coming up. Reds, Pirates, I'm Brewers even. I'm excited to go through all of these. So we will be continuing to go through all these farm systems as the offseason progresses. And of course, if you want to read all of these detailed write-ups, check out the link in the episode description. That'll do it for this episode. Hope you have a great holiday if we don't talk to you before and look forward to talking prospects with you next week.
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.